0: The Gospels are full of the teachings of Jesus. He spoke to crowds about topics like the kingdom of heaven, generosity, and relationships. But some of his statements were hard to hear, and some appeared nearly impossible to apply. What do we do with these seemingly mic drop moments? Join us as we tackle these one-liner statements in our next series, Jesus Said. All right, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. How are you doing? Put your hands together. Help me welcome all of our first-time guests. So glad to have you guys with us, whether you are worshiping online or right here in the room. Hey, before we go any further, I just want to thank you guys for your prayers. Uh, we, we've, we're we finally over COVID, I think, in our home. It ran through the whole family. It's been an adventurous couple of weeks, but uh, we're there. We're We're back. And um, thank you. That's all I can say. If anybody's been through COVID, you know it feels good when you get to leave your home once again and get back to life. And so I'm back among the living and it feels good. And uh, so, hey, before we go any further into the message, I want to talk about how we are kicking off life groups right now. I want to remind you about something that is really very important to us here at Grace Life, and that is to understand church is more than what is happening right now. Uh, This is what we call a worship service. It's not church. I know sometimes in the South we think it is. This is something church does. You see, church is spiritual family. God puts his people in family so that we don't do life alone. And so when we come together to worship and and to get teaching from his word, that is just one thing that we do. But we need to get outside of these big rooms sometimes. We also, for those of us that are worshiping at home, need to get into a group, even if it's an online group, where you know someone's name and someone's story, and someone is praying with you and praying for you, and and you're sharing life together. So I really want to encourage you as we're kicking off our life groups, this is not a program that we have. What we are doing is building a way for us to be family together, to get into smaller environments where we can actually know each other and know what is going on in life. So if you don't have your life group yet, please go online. We've got online groups. We've got in-person groups. We've got all kinds of groups meeting all across the city, all different days. So go online and, and find your group. All right, everybody, we are wrapping up today. This is our last part of the Jesus Said series. Anybody had fun? Yeah, yeah I hope so. I'm going to miss that cool little music that I get to come out to every week. But um, if you have missed any part of this, I want to encourage you to go get it online or on our app. Every one of them is there. And uh, as we are, are finishing the series today, I've got probably the one that I've been most passionate about, Uh, and I've saved it kind of for the end. I'll be honest, COVID made me save it for the end. It was supposed to be last week, but that's okay. Um, But I I thought it was really one of the most important things out of the entire series. And look, when you start talking about the important things Jesus said, it's it's really hard to put one above the other, right? I mean, if there is an order, I'm going to leave that to Jesus to do. It's not my place. But I'm going to tell you that the, the one that we need to talk about today It's probably one of the most prevalent that we struggle with in our world. And how many of you would agree with me if you looked at our world today, you would say like, is everybody just offended or is it just me? I mean, come on, are y'all with me? Okay, y'all got to be a little more involved with this. I mean, when you look at our world today right now, everybody is upset with somebody about something. And it really has been, you know, look, I'm, I haven't lived a thousand years, so I can't say this is the worst it's ever been in human history. I don't know that I can say that. But I can tell you, based upon my life, a little short of five decades, I feel like the last year and a half, I have watched people be more upset, more offended, and to just get, let things get all up in their skin more than any other time. At least that's what it looks like to me. And the truth is, much of this, if we could be honest is right in, in what people experience. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like people are mistreated and have been mistreated because of the color of their skin and, and got offended. People have been mistreated because of their gender and and, and been mistreated. And and you just keep looking at, we, we've watched people try to have an opinion about how to live in a pandemic and somebody has a different opinion. And so then they go at each other and everybody gets all offended. And, and then Do we even want to use the word politics in church? Oh my goodness, like half of the world hates the other half of the world and, and everybody's offended over what somebody says. And so many of the offenses are rightly earned. I mean, people have been mistreated. People have attacked people. People have said things to people that they shouldn't have said. People have been abusive. And the things that they put out there, if we could just, I know I made you uncomfortable a little bit, but I think we just need to kind of get out there the reality that we're living in a world where people are just incredibly offended, and in a lot of cases, it's not a made-up feeling. It's a legitimate, like, how dare you treat me that way? Y'all know what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, I think every one of you could, could name something you've been through just in the last year of your life and say legitimately, how dare that person say that to me? How dare that person treat me that way? My wife and I went through one of the more difficult things, one of the most difficult things that we've, we've been through in terms of having to deal with an offense uh, in the last year of our lives. We, uh, about 10 years ago, we suddenly had a lot more kids. We, we went from one to four, seemed like overnight, but it was a, a little bit longer than that. And as a result, we had to get a, a different house. We couldn't all fit in our house. And uh, we were simply in a place we couldn't have enough uh, equity to sell it. We couldn't afford to. So we kept that house and just started renting it. And so over time, what that meant is we, we had a rental house. And over this, this past year, we, you know, we've had a pretty good 10-year run of people living in our, our house and being good to it. But uh, we went through an experience over the last year where that was the exact opposite story. And what ended up happening was uh, we, we had this, this uh, uh, people, they just got behind. And, and the truth is they had been behind for more than a year. They were always a few weeks late. And we never once in all of the time that they lived in the house We never charge a late fee. we always said, hey, look, we understand life is tough. I know a lot of people say, hey, business is business. I'm just going to tell you I don't function that way. I don't know how to function that way. Because my entire life is about making Jesus famous upon the earth. So any chance that I get to express grace, it's just what I do. And and you you can do what you do. But for for us, we we never exercise the the penalty and and all that. We're just, hey, okay, we understand. We understand. And, And then it went from being a few weeks late to months late. And then it kept going to a point that eventually seven months went by, they never paid a penny. And and during this whole time, they're saying, hey, look, we've lost our jobs due to COVID and and whatever. And we're saying, we understand it's hard. We're praying for you. I mean, this is great. They're telling us that they've lost their jobs and they can't pay us. And we're praying for them. My wife and I get together every morning. We're praying God bless them, give them jobs, help take care of it. We're like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you guys with me? And then after seven months, everything kind of catches up, the electric company and everybody else, and they disappear in the middle of the night. And we go and we find out that they have never lost their jobs, that they actually had gone to work every single day and they had simply been lying to us and that they had stolen seven months of what should belong to my family and my ability to feed my kids. Y'all know what I'm saying? I mean, it was like, are are you kidding me? But then on top of that, Uh, Their parting gift was to take a saw, an electric or gas powered something evil and powerful to our kitchen cabinets and literally destroyed the house. Yeah. And and when I texted to say, hello, what exactly was going through your head? I'm going to just tell you, this is the fact of the story. It's going to be a little offensive even for some of you to hear. But they told us that we deserved that because of the color of our skin and our ability to own a rental house. The reason I'm telling you this is because what I want you to understand today as I'm talking about one of the things Jesus said, I want you to understand, I'm not just standing up here being a preacher and reading a platitude out of the Bible and telling you to go deal with it. I want you to understand that I know the pain of of what Jesus is going to tell us to do today. But I also want you to understand something because I I want us all on the same page before I get into the the message today. And, And that is... I was mad. I mean, are you all with me? I was angry because I wasn't upset about the money. I'm going to be honest. If you are a landlord, if you do business, you realize you're going to get taken advantage of at some point. That's just like, you just, okay, somebody's going to steal some money. Let's move on. I don't have energy to get my life wrapped up over dollar bills. It's not worth it. And the fact that they had lied to me. Look, I taught school, so I'm pretty good at being lied to. I'm, I'm kind of used to, you know, the dog ate my homework. Sure he did. You know, so I, I'm okay when people lie to me. And, and you've probably watched people in your life get upset about something, get really offended. And you're like, why are you so upset about that? Like, just let that go. Why? Are, that, that's not that big a deal. Here's the thing. The thing that you get really upset about might be something that's easy for somebody else to get over. We've all got our thing. And, and so the money didn't bother me. The lying didn't bother me. But... To tell me that I deserve that treatment because of the color of my skin angered me because I have committed my life to building a church where every tribe, every tongue, every skin color, every whatever our socioeconomic class is, we come together to make much of Jesus and to make very little of ourselves. That's what I've committed my life to, and and even historically for me here in South Carolina, as a native South Carolinian, I've committed my life to trying to right the wrongs of racial injustice here. That's what I'm all about. So to have someone attack me unduly and to say the very opposite, I'm going to tell you, man, it it was a very good thing that I could not find this person physically that day. It was like, yeah. So anyway, it, it took some time, but here's my point. My wife and I really had to go and work on this because we were rightly offended. And, and something has been done to you at some point in your life where you have been rightly offended. But the reason I'm talking about this, and I think it's one of the most important things for us to hear about what Jesus said, is because we cannot exercise the right to be offended while claiming the privilege of being forgiven. I really should just be able to say amen and let's all go home at that point. I mean, think about that statement. You see, that's what's missing in the church today. When somebody who is not going to heaven, who does not say Jesus is their king, gets all mad at you and gets all offended, okay. Because they don't know what it's like to be forgiven. But for any of us who say, I am going to heaven because everything I've ever done wrong has been forgiven me, But then when I get rightly offended, I believe I have the right to exercise that right. I think that's why Jesus' words about forgiveness to his disciples were so strong. And so what we're looking at today is the Jesus statement when he said, look, if you don't forgive. And we're going to get to those words here in the minute in the end of the story. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew 18, 21. If not, don't worry, it's going to be right here on the screen. And so Jesus was explaining the importance of being quick to forgive for anybody who's ever been for has ever been forgiven and so we're going to pick it up where it says then peter came up and said to jesus lord how often will my brother sin against me and i forgive him as many as seven times (laughs) and jesus said to him no sorry peter i don't say to you seven times but 77 times you see jesus had just been teaching on the importance of going to someone when you have an offense if they've hurt you or if you think you've hurt them go and say hey i'm sorry Or, hey, I think you need to apologize. Keep short accounts. Let's be quick to forgive. That's what Jesus had just been saying. The problem is, if you know anything about Peter, Peter was always in trouble. Peter was like just socially, uh, constantly offended with somebody or somebody was offended with him. So it makes perfect sense that Peter is the one that's gonna come up and say, so uh, Jesus, you know, uh, I need to know what's gonna keep me out of trouble here. And, And here's your nerd moment for everybody that likes these. The rabbis of the day taught... That to correctly fulfill the expectation of God was to forgive three times. If somebody comes to you and they offend you or hurt you and you forgive them. And then this same person comes back and does it again and you forgive them a second time. And then they come back and do it, you forgive them a third time. All of the rest of the Jewish rabbis were teaching their followers. At this point, man, you're off the hook. Look, this this person's an idiot. They've they've done the same thing three times and you forgave them all. That's enough. God is happy with you. That's what the Jewish rabbis were teaching. And so Peter is essentially saying, hey, so Jesus, here's here's my idea. I'm gonna be twice as good as the standard. Matter of fact, I'm gonna be more than twice as good. I'm gonna go for seven and seven is the number of perfection. So that should be like enough, right? Like I'm doing more than double everybody else doing the number of perfection. That's good enough, Jesus, right? And Jesus' answer is like, no. No, Peter, because see, it's, it's not a rule thing. See, the rabbis might be teaching a rule thing, but it's not a rule thing. And it's not a math thing. That's why I'm, I'm giving you a number you can't keep up with. Here's what it really is, Peter. It's a heart thing. And you simply have no right to keep count. Pretty tough words, right? And so then Jesus gives them a parable. He goes on to explain why it's such a big deal that we shouldn't try to keep count. Here's what he says. "'Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king "'who wished to settle accounts with his servants. "'And when he began to settle, "'one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents.' Now, here's what I want to do. I want to help us understand the context of this by making these numbers into uh, modern day where we can understand this. One talent, right? We're talking about 10,000 talents. Everybody follow this. I know you're you're having like a middle school math moment and you're freaking out, but just relax. I'll do all of the math for you. All you got to do is listen, okay? So one talent was equal to 20 years wages for a day laborer, someone who got paid by the day. So for us in an equivalent today, we we get paid by the hour. And and so at the end of the day, if we were to do the math, let's take what would be a pretty good average for us, and that would be about $15 an hour. That would be what we could expect a lot of people to make if they worked for an hourly job, $15 an hour. And so then if they're going to work all year long and have just a couple of weeks of vacation, their annual salary is going to be $30,000. And so then this is times 20 years, right? One talent is 20 years Work for a day laborer. So now we are up to $600,000. That's one talent. is $600,000 today for, not, not a multimillionaire. We got to keep our perspective. For someone who is making money only $15 an hour. Are you with me? Yep. Then it's 10,000 talents. 10,000 times those 20 years. This $15 an hour wage earner owes six billion dollars if you made 15 dollars an hour would you like to need to pay back six billion if you've already done the math and you can only get to 600,000 over 20 years and let's say you work really hard and you work a 40-year career and you come up with 1.2 million you there's no way It is an unfathomable number. Government spends $6 billion, not people who make $15 an hour. There there is no way. And the reason this is important is because Jesus is making a point that is on the nose. Like, he's not trying to hide his message. Like, wonder if they can figure out if I'm talking about how big a deal this is. He's making it so obvious that it is such a big deal because here's the, the point. God is the king. And you and I are the day laborer. And when we look at our offense against a perfect holy God, it is an unfathomable number. You could not do enough good one hour at a time for the rest of your life to ever make up for our sinfulness compared to a perfectly holy God. That's what Jesus is trying to make sure they understand. And so he says, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything, which is the dumbest statement on planet Earth. Come on, y'all. I mean, y'all follow the math, right? The guy's a fool. He's an absolute fool. But out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. The, The master didn't do what he asked for. He didn't say, okay, okay, get back get back to work, go work hard and and do your best and and we'll see how much you've paid off at the end of the year. He didn't say that at all. He didn't give him what he asked for. He gave him more than he asked for. He gave him more than he ever deserved. He just looked at him and said, okay, forgiven. Debt gone. I don't know about you, but I think that sounds pretty crazy, right? Six billion dollars. But when that same servant then went out, utterly and completely forgiven, owing not one penny. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Notice the exact same words. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Now, let's bring this into context. Because this guy owes him 100 denarii, which is 20 weeks wages for that same day laborer. So, in other words, this guy now owes the equivalent of $12,000. I mean, listen, sometimes I think we miss the stories because we don't get the details. But a person who was just forgiven $6 billion walks up to somebody who owes him $12,000 and begins to choke him. I mean, do you ever just stop and think, what's going through this guy's mind what, what it could possibly be happening in here that he thinks? And I think part of it is that he had no comprehension of how forgiven that he was. So it says he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And so they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And this is where we go, are you kidding me? You're that forgiven, and yet you're choking somebody over such a small amount because in reality somewhere you have 6 billion dollars and you're actually trying to squeeze 12,000 out of it you wouldn't even be able to count 12,000 to 6 billion right i mean come on it's like that's ridiculous why would he do it some people would probably try to preach well he's just greedy and and he might be greedy if he's stolen 6 billion dollars i can't say he's not greedy but but that's not it so what it really is is he never he never received forgiveness he never connected with how much he has been forgiven in the fact that he doesn't owe the six billion. The truth is the reason that he's choking the guy is because he actually still intends to pay back the six billion. He's going to get 12,000 from this guy and then go find somebody else and choke them and he's going to do everything. Because here's the Have you ever met somebody who really struggles to receive forgiveness? Like they just still feel guilty. Even if you look and go, hey, I forgive you. God bless you. They they just still somehow there's something there. You guys know what I'm talking about? And, and and, and the struggle is because we can't receive. And this guy right here would rather owe $6 billion than what he actually owes now, which is just honor and gratitude. That's all he owes the king. You have set me free. You have released me from every wrong I ever did, all the money I stole from you. And so now I owe you gratitude for my life. And this guy is saying, nope. I'm not going to owe you gratitude. I'm going to go choking people until I get enough money because I will not owe you anything. You know what that is? That's somebody who never, never received forgiveness. They didn't get it. And the sad part is this is so common for you and me. I know you don't want to hear that, but it is. Christians really struggle to be forgiven. We know we are here. We stand, we sing the songs, I'm forgiven, Yeah, and our hands are up and everything. But then we do everything we can to try and pay God back for what he's done. And we go to church and we keep up good attendance and we give gifts and make donations and serve every week and serve three times every week or whatever it is because we're trying to pay God back for all that he did for us. Look, we're supposed to do all of those things out of the gratitude of what God has done. We're supposed to say, God, I just want to be in your presence. I want to sing songs that bless your name because of what you've done for me. God, God, I want to invest my finances in changing the world because you have changed me. I mean, it should be out of the gratitude. But what a lot of us are doing is we're having the same problem as this guy. Is we're trying to do all of these things just so that we can feel like, well... God, I know you had to die for me, but at least I'm trying really hard here. At least I'm doing a little bit to to pay up my end. I'm doing a little bit to make it worth your while. So Jesus goes on and says, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you should have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. So why the Bible says, in more than one place, look, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And it just comes back to the simple truth. We can't exercise the right to be offended while claiming the privilege of being forgiven. And so in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, look, at this point, you're reading the story. We go, come on, this guy got what he deserved, right? Because the the whole reason we're doing this series is we read the Bible that way. The whole point of this series, you've heard it every week if you've been here throughout the series, is to take what Jesus said 2,000 years ago and not read it like, oh, good for them. But to put ourselves right there. And and, and we can celebrate this guy got what's coming to him right up until we realize Jesus is talking to us. We have to be careful not to be this guy. Some of us maybe are this guy at this moment and hopefully today we can make a change because our Jesus statement said, the one that we're looking at today is the very next thing and it's what Jesus finishes with. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Can we just be honest? Anybody scared when you read that? Anybody, you read that and you go, uh, wait a minute. I thought I was like totally forgiven, totally good, going to heaven no matter what I've done wrong. But now it seems like if I don't forgive, then I'm going to get thrown into this prison too. It's what Jesus said. It. It's what my father will do to you if you do not forgive. You, you, Jesus can't lie, right? I mean, so like that's a scary statement. Are, y- are y'all with me? I-, I don't see enough people going, oh my gosh, that's scary. Because I, I want to help us understand. Matter of fact, Jesus also, at other times, like in the Sermon on the Mount, said, if you forgive other people, then your father, my Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people what they've done to you, then he will not forgive you. That makes it sound like maybe we aren't going to heaven if we ever miss out on forgiving someone. Scary, right? Everybody Relax. Because that's not what that means. It sounds like that on first reading, but what you have to understand is that would contradict all the rest of the gospel. It would say that you actually do go to heaven based on something you do, how good you are at forgiving, and that you could potentially not go to heaven If you aren't bad at forgiving, it would mean that Jesus didn't die on the cross for everything. It would mean he died for something, and then you have to do the rest. That is the total opposite of the gospel. It does not line up with anything else in Scripture. So that can't be exactly what that means. So what does it mean? Well, think about it. Jesus' statement started with, well, if you don't forgive other people. Well, again, that would imply that if you don't forgive people, you can send people to hell. No, 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 no. What he's talking about is not the prison of hell. But the prison of experience and the prison of relationships. Relational jail and experiential jail. You see, that's what we put people in when we don't forgive them. We we break relationship. We have offenses. We carry bitterness. Families are destroyed. Friendships are destroyed. We, We put people into something that's relational and experiential because then our life begins to suffer as a result of it. Their life suffers as a result of it. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to put people in an experiential jail of bitterness, so my Father will do to you. And and the reason this is so important is because we struggle to forgive. I don't know anybody that's just really good and quick and like, oh, okay, I'm all good. I mean, at some point, we're all kind of struggling. We're all upset with somebody. We're all holding on to something. And then the result is we we walk around going, man, I just don't feel like God hears me when I pray. I just don't feel like God's, I don't feel this, exactly. It's the very thing that Jesus said. Like, look, you've been forgiven for everything. And then you go and you hold an offense. And the, the natural result of that is you're going to experience broken fellowship with the Father because you have chosen to put another human in broken fellowship with you. And it's just a natural result of what we live and we so struggle with this. I want to tell you a little story of something else that went on in like the last year of my life. Uh, there was a, a point for a couple of months where something was going totally crazy with my back. It was completely unexplainable. Um, and you need to know, I'm a, I'm a musician. Uh, I don't have a football injury. I've never been tackled by someone 300 pounds Um, I don't have a racquetball injury. Uh, I I don't have an injury. I don't do that because I'm I'm a nerd. I'm a concert pianist. I I sit at a piano. Um, My my greatest injury was a a little bit of of tunnel, what is that called? The the, the carpal tunnel syndrome. I had a little of that because I played this a little bit too much. It's the worst injury that I've ever been through. It was not a car accident injury or nothing, but suddenly for some reason, I I just suddenly couldn't bend over and and I I couldn't even touch my own toes. And this is true. It got to a point where before I could come out here, my assistant had to tie my shoes for me because I, I literally could not tie my own shoes. And I'd gone through a a couple of weeks where it had gotten so intense that if I stood up out of my chair the wrong way, I physically actually fell on the floor and screamed. It was an incredible debilitating pain. I could barely get in or out of a car. And I'm saying, what in the world has happened? I've had no injury. I've had no accident. Nothing was going, but suddenly I couldn't even put on my own shoes and I was not happy about it. And it got worse and it got worse. And so I started seeing doctors and I ended up, with this process, two x-rays, CAT scan, and an MRI. Do you guys know how much money I spent trying to figure out what in the world is wrong with me? And nobody could figure it out. And so finally, the last guy that I see, the guy that looks at the MRI, who's a, a brain and spine specialist, he looks at me and says, you are perfectly fine. They go, if I could move, I would hit you for saying that because I'm clearly not perfectly fine. I can't even put my own shoe to come and see you here today. He's like, but I'm telling you, you are physically fine. There is nothing wrong. I wanted to blame a disc because, I mean, nobody wants surgery on their disc, but at least you know what to fix, right? Come on, y'all with me? Don't you hate going to the doctor and they say nothing's wrong? You just, and so anyway, I'm like, let me blame a disc. Let me blame a bone in my back. Let me blame something. Give me something to blame. And he says, nothing is wrong with you. But I tell you what, I've got a, a friend of mine. It's a pretty good physical therapist. You, wait, wait, wait a minute. I, I have spent thousands on MRIs and CAT scans and nobody can explain it. And you want me to go see somebody who was going to teach me to bend over? I mean, are you, are you kidding me? So I, I go and I see this guy. And the guy sits there, he says, tell me about it. I said, well, I've seen this person, I've been to this ER, and I've talked to this guy, and done all of this, and all this, and all this, and and nobody has anything. And he just looked at me and said, I know what's wrong. He said, stand up, bend over, which I couldn't do. But but the attempt to bend over, he's like, yeah, I know exactly what's wrong. He said, if you don't mind, I'm just going to get a little up close and personal. I'll take care of this. Hop up on the table. I'm waiting on him to do something. He barely touches my my back and my leg, does a little twist, and then says, there you go. Yeah, I don't even think he's done anything yet. And he simply says to me, now you're unlocked. I had a muscle that had gotten so locked up that it felt like my back needed to be fused together. And here's my point, if you haven't followed how obvious this story is. I wanted to blame anything and everything outside of me. And I was in torture. And I was spending tons of money. And I was looking for anything I could do to blame anything other than what was wrong inside of me. And it all came down to him simply saying, I unlocked you. We spend our lives locked up. And we spend thousands of dollars. And we spend... 'm angry and we just want to blame that person for what they said because that's why I feel this way we want to blame that person for how they treated us because that's why I feel this way we want to blame everything else instead of realizing we're just the ones locked up it's all about what's going on inside of us so look I hope that at this point we all understand yes I'm supposed to forgive I don't think anybody here would say I'm not supposed to forgive we get that and I hope you're Sufficiently inspired at this point, if we stopped, that that you could go and say, "Man, I need to work on forgiving people," but if you'll allow me, I, I want a few more minutes as we close, because what I think is always so important is to give you practical, like, why is it so hard to forgive? Why do we struggle so much? And, and there really are three. Things I'm going to give you, three things that I think every one of us faces, and we just got to decide which one of these we wrestle with. So I want to encourage you once again as you get into your life groups this week, talk about which one of these three seems to be the one that that you struggle with the most that keeps you from forgiving. So, So here you go. Everybody ready? Just three things that I think will really help you actually be able to forgive. The first one is the reality. You are surrounded by sinners. Get over it. Wake up. Stop being surprised that people have offended you. This is what sinners do. They say things they shouldn't say. They treat you ways they shouldn't treat you. And they don't even realize it. We don't realize it. I mean, half the time people are mad at me for something I didn't realize I did or didn't say or I sh- they expected me to comment on social media and I didn't comment on social media. So now they think I don't love them and they don't realize it's Facebook. I hate, it has nothing to do with you. I don't even look at the stuff. And people get upset about something. Yes, we're surrounded by sinners. They are going to prove you right. You know what I mean? They're gonna prove that everybody is a sinner in need of a savior. And, and, and then suddenly... Because we come in here every week and we go, look, we're, we're sinners in need of a Savior. And then we, we get upset when people around us prove that they are sinful in need of a Savior. So, so, number one, let's just strike it off the list. Stop being surprised that people mistreat you. Welcome to your theology being correct. That's it. Your theology is good. Pat yourself on the back. Don't get upset about it. And just realize, oh, hey, look what that person just did. That person just proved the reason that I believe in Jesus because we need a Savior. We're sinners. We're stupid people sometimes. And sometimes we do things on purpose. Sometimes we don't even know it. It's just the reality. Okay, can we move on? Number two the reason we struggle to forgive is because we don't understand what it means. When I, I try to pastor people through forgiving, I think this is one of the biggest issues is people don't understand what it means. Let me tell you what forgiveness is not. The first thing it is not, it's not forgetting. People think if I say, I forgive you, that they're saying I can never remember what you've done, that I'm supposed to just erase it from my mind and it's never supposed to be there. And we get the idea because the Bible uses the words that God says he will not remember our sins, but that's a misunderstanding. Again, it's a a kind of a colloquialism, it is God put himself into human terms. It would mean that God lost knowledge. He can't lose knowledge, then he's no longer perfect. So he doesn't truly not remember. What it means is he won't bring it up against you. And so when you say to someone, I, for, I forgive you, it's not forgetting. Let me just give you the simplest illustration. I've got four children and I love them. And so if I go out on a date with my wife and I hire a babysitter, and our babysitter is so distracted by TikTok, one of our children gets a broken arm. I do not forget that and hire that babysitter next Friday night. I forgive them. I don't hate them, but I don't hire them again. When you forgive someone, you are not forgetting and putting yourself back into the position to be abused again. Are you guys with me on that one? The second thing that forgiveness is not, is not saying, it's no big deal. What you did to me, that's just it doesn't matter. See, a lot of us struggle to forgive because we think that when we look at someone and say, I forgive you, that what we're essentially saying is, "I who cares? What you did to me is just not that. I'm not that upset about it. Kind of like when a friend borrows $5 at lunch and they say, I'll pay you back. But look, none of us remember that, right? I mean, who ever remembers to pay you back five bucks? No one does. And you probably don't care too much about the five bucks. It's not worth a friendship, you know, a month later. Oh, hey, man, you remember you owe me that five bucks? No, I really don't remember that. I think you're trying to steal from me. I mean, nobody even needs to bother with that. So we just like, ah, who cares? I don't care about the five bucks. The problem is, what if your friend borrowed 5,000? See, now you're not saying it's no big deal. You're saying this is a, a deal. Like, we got to talk about this, bro. You owe me $5,000. You know, that, that, it, it's, it's not saying it's no big deal. So let me show you what forgiveness is. It's not forgetting, and it's not saying it's no big deal. What it is, is transferring the debt they owe you to someone else. Forgiveness is realizing that you've probably been rightly hurt rightly offended someone's stolen from you someone's lied to you someone said something about you you didn't deserve to hear someone's accused you of something whatever the story is there is a there's a debt against you a sinner sinned against you the difference is you can choose the rest of your life trying to collect that debt you're bitter you're angry you're mad you're not going to let them go until they say they're sorry you become a debt collector See, maybe you've, you've been in experience where you've gotten behind on a bill and you've owed something. A good illustration, if I could just give you one, is like in a hospital. You go to a hospital because we go to hospitals because we have to. And sometimes the bills are crazy when you get out. And so sometimes it's like, whoa, I, I, I didn't plan on that. And so you might get a little behind and the hospital send you this note. Hey, pay or pay or pay. And if not, it's going to collections. See, what happens is the hospital realizes at some point, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a nurse. I want to help people. I don't want to be a bill collector. And so at some point, they finally just transfer the debt. They give it to a debt collection agency. They consider your bill paid so they can go back to being doctors and nurses, doing what God created them to do, making the difference in the world. And they let somebody else be a nasty bill collector. And by the way, if you've ever come across bill collectors, they're, they're bitter and angry and nasty And the problem is many of us spend most of our lives deciding that we would rather be a debt collector, that we would rather be locked up inside and angry and bitter and upset instead of being the loving husband, father, mother, friend at school, football player, businessman. And all of those things that you're called to do that God created you for start to suffer and you suffer because you're in that relational jail, that experiential jail. You begin to to feel distant from God. You're distant from the people you're angry at and you're trying to collect a debt you're never going to get because they may not even agree that they did anything wrong. And you base your freedom upon their perfect revelation. Are you kidding me? Do you really want your life to be based upon whether or not they ever get it? And we stay locked up because we think That forgiveness is saying that's no big deal. No, forgiveness is saying, hey, look, this is a very big deal. So God, you're just. You see, forgiveness is transferring your debt to a perfectly just God who knows how to deal with other people, who says he will by no means clear the guilty. He will deal with sin. And so you've got to decide, do you want to spend the rest of your life being an angry, nasty debt collector? Or do you want to let a perfectly just God deal with what's been done to you? And then you go on with life. And you do just like that hospital would do. You'd say, look, I'm sorry, you don't owe me anything. You don't owe me. I, I got rid of that debt, man. It's good. I have forgiven you. I didn't say what you did didn't matter. I'm just saying I'm not the one that's going to spend the rest of my life collecting the debt. I release you. Wherever you are, it's between you and God. What you did to me, that's between you and God. The things you said, it's, that's between you and God. I'm going to move on. I'm going to be free. That's my life. That's what forgiveness is. And the last thing I, I just want to say, I hope that, that both of those points help you right here with your head. They help you understand. And the last thing as I, I close, I, I want the, the, the third thing that we really struggle with is in our heart. Reality is we think too much of ourselves and too little of our sin. And this is why we struggle to forgive, because we compare our sins to each other. And we look and go, well, you know, I'm just, I'm not as bad as you, and I'm not as bad as you, and And we say things like, well, you know, I realize I get angry in traffic. Doesn't everybody? People in Columbia can't drive. You know what I mean? We say things like, it's it's not my fault that I got a little upset and said that to you or, or, you know, waved my special finger at you as I went by, you know, okay, that's a little stuff, but at least I don't have bodies buried in my backyard. And at least I don't swindle old ladies out of their life savings. We compare ourselves to each other. And so when somebody hurts us, We think that that's an incredible offense because we're comparing it to what we think we've done to other people. We don't compare it to the true standard. The only standard that matters is the holiness of God. When we understand that a perfectly holy God has forgiven us for every thought, every word, every action, every sin, the ones that we've done, the ones that we will do that we haven't even contemplated yet. In his perfect holiness. So we we think too much of ourselves and too little of our sin. That's that's why the guy went out and started choking somebody. Because he thought too much of himself and too little of his $6 billion. If he understood how great the sin was, against the master. He would then understand how much he had been forgiven. And see, if you and I could grasp this perspective, that we could start to say, look, I understand what you did to me, but compared to what I did to God, it's all good. Now, I understand that you said something that I don't feel I deserve, but do you know the things I've said about God? See, when we start thinking about how we've treated God, and then we look at how somebody's treating us, it's a whole lot easier to forgive. What needs to change in our heart is we need to get a reality check of what we think of our sin and what we think of ourselves. So I want to leave you with a really encouraging, positive note. My wife and I had to work very hard to forgive our tenants. But we did because it's what we do. I mean, I don't have the right to stand here if I'm not going to do the things that I teach, right? I mean, it's the reality. It's, it's the tough part of my job. And uh, so my wife and I did choose to forgive. We, we sat down and we prayed and, and every day and worked through that. And we got to a place, we said, you know what, God, we're gonna trust you to take care of them. Because of, sadly, the way they were living their lives, that's, that's just God's business. It's not something I wanted to be touched with long-term said, God, God, we're going to forgive them because we we want you to do what you want to do in our lives. We don't want to spend the rest of our lives locked up over them and their problems. I want to move on, be done, you know? And so we did. We forgave them. And and what happens when you forgive? It allows God to come and move into your life and to begin to bring blessing and to, to do something that he wants to do if we don't put ourselves in an experiential jail. When you forgive, you get out of the experiential jail and it allows God to come and bring blessing and to do something good. So here's what happened. Because it's really cool at the end of a story when you can actually look back and see God move. During the seven months that our tenant was lying and, and stealing, one of the first things God did is really move upon our hearts that we were done and we were gonna get out of this and we were gonna sell the house and be free. And so the cool part that happened is during those seven months, uh, this is what happened recently. The housing market went crazy. Anybody followed the housing market has gone absolutely crazy. You guys know what I'm talking about? And so the the value of our house during the seven months that we were being stolen from and couldn't do anything about it, the value of our house went up well over 25%. And so then we got to a place where we said, we want to sell. And the good news, since they had decided to uh, make a, science project out of our kitchen cabinets and everything else we we had to just basically renew the house i mean the carpet was brand new the paint was brand new every surface was was brand new the cabinets were new i mean everything it was a brand new house and although that cost us some money what ended up happening is we got 35 offers in 24 hours it's called a bidding war anybody want to even go ahead and guess how far above asking price We ended up selling it for seven months rent. The point is, when we get out of the way, when we stop insisting we're going to collect the debt, it lets God deal with them and it lets God bless you. And the truth is, I'm just gonna add this part of the story. We weren't even upset about the money That wasn't what we had to forgive over. But God still blessed us with the finances. What really happened, and you just can't make this stuff up, is just that's just God working, is once we sold the house, my wife and I went out to dinner just to kind of celebrate the freedom and the goodness, what God had done. And our tenant ended up at the table next door. And because they had come with so many friends and they were the last one to the table, they ended up physically trapped staring straight at me and could not move they couldn't adjust anywhere else at the table I am looking I'm here and I'm looking at this woman the whole time and she knows who she is and what she's done and I know who she is and what she's done but I've forgiven her and I'm enjoying my meal and so I had a great time talking to my wife But this woman, because if she looked up, she looked straight into my face, she spent the entire evening staring at her plate. She's the one in jail. But we're free. So I'm going to put everybody on the spot today. I want you to raise your hand if you know that Jesus died for you. You are forgiven of every sin you ever committed or ever will forgive and you are going to heaven because of what Jesus has done because you are utterly and completely forgiven. If your hand is up, I want you to understand there's a reality that God expects of you. You maybe have been rightly hurt. You maybe have been rightly offended. You have lost the right to exercise the right to be offended while claiming the privilege of being forgiven. Let me pray for us. God, you are so good to have forgiven us for all the offenses against you. And then you even love us as we struggle with the tiny offenses that we commit against each other. I thank you for your grace here today and pray that you will, you will really begin to work on our hearts, that you will cause each of us to say, I, I just want to be unlocked. I just want to stop blaming. I want to be free. I release I pray right now that names and events are coming to mind. And I pray that each of us will just start to say, I release that person for that experience. I release that person for what they did. God, I give that person to you. God, I give that event to you. And we'll simply let it go. Not saying that we weren't sinned against. But just saying that, God, you're better at dealing with sin. We'll let you have that offense. We will let you make that right. And today, we want to be right with you. We will stop choosing the right to be offended, no matter what we've been through, because you have forgiven us. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you that maybe haven't made Jesus your king. The truth is, as I ask people to raise their hand, maybe you didn't want to raise your hand because you knew it wasn't true. Maybe you didn't raise your hand. Maybe you did just because you wanted to fit in. Here's the reality. Jesus did come and live a perfect life. He died on the cross so that his life could pay for your sins. It is the forgiveness we've been talking about. Not some of the sins, not most of them, but every single thing you've ever done to offend God's nature, he paid that price. You are utterly and completely forgiven when you make the exchange of the death of Jesus on the cross for the life you're living We call it salvation. It's a free gift. And if you've never received that, I want to help you do that right now. Wherever you are, simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. And I do thank you that I am forgiven. My simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Help me celebrate with those people, everybody.